Welcome to the Roots of American Music podcast. My name is Clint Holly, and I am happy to be your host today. This is episode six of the Akron Heritage Music Project, funded by the Knight Foundation, the GAR Foundation, and produced in conjunction with Roots of American Music. Today, we tackle the topic of opportunity in Akron, Ohio. We live in a world where opportunity is supposed to be given to all people on an equal basis. The reality is, opportunity is often withheld from certain people regardless of whether it's your race, your gender, or your identity. Our guest today is Marco Somerville. He's a colorful character who has spent a great part of his adult life in public service. He openly advocates for people who have not been given opportunities and is continuing to move into the future trying to find new ways to give underserved people more opportunities in a place like Akron. So sit down with us while we talk to Marco and also listen to music from our musical guests, Free Black, an up-and-coming powerhouse hip-hop duo from Akron, Ohio also. Let's meet Marco. My name is Marco. My mother would be mad. This is Marco S. Somerville. Uh, I am a native of Akron, born and raised here. I'm currently deputy mayor for the city of Akron and senior advisor to the mayor for the city. By profession, I also own a funeral home and uh, have been involved in the community in a number of positions, president of NAACP for one, War Three council person, and also president of Akron City Council oh, okay. for 13 years. Now, what was your inspiration to get involved in, in public service? Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, being a funeral director, I thought it was more important for me to make sure to help people while they were living and to be involved in the community. And the fact that uh, I own my own business, that I could uh, speak out on different issues and have to worry about any repercussions. And uh, thought that was a way for me to be involved in the community and make a difference. Now, was the funeral home, was that a family business or was that a business that you started? Ever since uh, I was in elementary school, I had this dream of owning a funeral home. Uh, I can't really tell you where it came from, but I had this burning desire to be a funeral director. And I have an uncle that's a funeral director in Chicago, and, uh, and I would go see him in the summer. But uh, I just wanted to be a funeral director and uh, decided to... Uh, Pursue that as my profession and uh, went to Kent State for three years and then went to Cincinnati College of Mortuary Science uh, for a year. Then I served a year apprenticeship here in the city and then after that I went to Cleveland. And after being in Cleveland for a number of years, I decided to come back home and open up my own uh, funeral home, which is a, a very, very difficult thing to do because when somebody dies, you're thinking of your name. Of, of all the other things that are going on and they might have had experiences or relationships with other people. Sure, right. But I was young and thought I could do everything, and I wasn't afraid. And so we, we went forward, and uh, it takes a long time to build a name and a reputation. Right. And uh, we started uh, the business in 1978. Wow. And uh, we're still in business, and our business is, uh, has grown to the point that my daughter is now in the business with me which I did not anticipate that happening. I have three children, and I never made my children work in the funeral business right. because I used to work for other funeral directors, and uh, they hated their parents because their parents made them work at the funeral <laughs> home. Because they forced them to do it. And, right. I, and, I, and I said, I would never do my kids like that. Right. And so, you know, my oldest daughter, who happens also to have followed my footsteps, not just in the funeral business, but also in politics, and uh, she's uh, the third ward councilman, as I had been, and now she is the uh, president of the Akron City Council, as I was okay. also. And uh, she's the first African-American woman to hold that position. 
That's amazing. You so know. she's really following right, in your footsteps. Right. I'm the second African-American person to be president of the city council. Uh, Ed Davis was the first. Okay. So, um, you know, and so we, she graduated from uh, a historical black college, uh, Lincoln University, where Thurgood Marshall graduated from. Okay. And also where Judge Rulak, who one of the first African-American judges here in the city, also a graduate of Lincoln University. So my daughter went there. She graduated. When we was coming back home, I asked what she was going to do. And she said that she had gotten a uh, scholarship offer from the University of Akron to get a master's degree. And uh, she was going to do that. And I said, well, what do you do after that? She said she wanted to be in the funeral business. And I was just shocked. You know, I said, well, I, I never knew that. She said, you never asked me. <laughs> <laughs> and so the rest is history, and I'm just so happy that I've built a business, and, uh, and now I have a successor who's my daughter, and uh, so it's, it's, it's all good. I think that's why I asked if it was a family business, because it seemed to me that that would be an amazingly hard business to start from Very scratch. Hard, you know. and it's like you said, people develop these relationships with people you know, but, over but, time. But, you know, but I had incredible parents who got divorced a long time ago, but when I wanted to start my own business, they agreed to get back together. I don't know if I could do that. But they got back together and said, listen, we're going to pool our money together. We're going to help you. And so, you know, my, my parents helped me um, build a business, you know. And my dad worked a good year, and, you know, he would not uh, take vacation. He would take the money and, and give it to me. And my mother, you know, she has had some savings, and she gave me her savings. And, you know, and then early on, you couldn't get a loan going to the bank. It takes a long time to get a loan, right. especially a new business. But eventually, we were able to go to the bank and— uh, but, you know, I, I didn't have the credit or anything like that, so I had to get my parents to, to sign. Right. So I remember going to the bank, and I was trying to explain to them what they were getting into. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And uh, they said, listen, we're, we're going to sign it because we, we believe in you. So you don't have to explain all that to us, you know, <laughs> right. which is a, just a phenomenal thing for your parents to, to believe that much in you. And so, you know, they, they, they signed and we, you know, start working the business, you know, and um, we didn't have very much money. We found an old car wash building and my father said, this is the place. I said, man, you're, you're crazy. This is a dump. <laughs> and, but, but, you know, my father had that vision. I didn't have that vision. You know, I had the skill as far as the, I went to school and all those kind of attributes, but I did not have, you know, like, like see something and figure out how it could look. But my father had that ability and he said, this is a great spot. And he's right. He was right off the freeway, not in the neighborhood. And, you know, so we, you know, we started uh, to work the business, you know, and just it's amazing how, you know, like people just come into your life, particularly, you know, at times like that. You know, and people always, you know, say they don't have any money or this or that. And, and money is, is, is an important thing. You have to have some money. I'm not going to try to say you don't have any. But it's just amazing, you know, what God will do. He will put people in your life to help you. You know, and that, and, that, and that happened with me. You know, I had a lot of people just help me, you know what I mean? And, you know, lay up the street for me, you know. I mean, I, I mean, she used to iron for my mother. And, you know, and I remember being younger, she would give us potato chips because she would get the big cans. She wanted to keep the cans to put flour in or whatever. Right, right. And so, uh, so when I, I was going to the funeral business, she said, listen, you know, I want to help you. You know, I'm saying, what well, this lady got to help me, you know. But end up, she had, she had money. She right. had more money than I thought she had. And so she said, listen, let me, let me borrow your carpet for you. And at the time, go to O'Neill's. I, I don't want no cheap carpet. Get the best they got, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just been a lot of people that I ran into through the years that, that helped me. I worked in Cleveland for a while. So a lot of the funeral directors in Cleveland, you know, really, really helped me out and gave me guidance and, you know, and, and, and were very nurturing to me as, as I tried to get started in this funeral business. And, 
you know, I, you know, I've just been very blessed, and it's this all kind of worked pretty good for me. Now, you said that your father worked at Goodyear. Mm-mm. Were your mother and father from Akron originally? Yeah, my father was 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 born here. My mother was actually born in Harlem, Kentucky. Okay, but she moved here, and she worked at Goodyear Aerospace. My father worked at Goodyear since he was 16 years old. Wow. Uh, and so um, when I graduated from high school, uh, I woke up the day after high school and I was sleeping in the bed and my mother's knocking on the door. She said, you got to get up. I said, well, what are you talking about? I just graduated last night. She said, well, okay, but you got to get a job. job. <laughs> right. You got to find a job or something. <laughs> I, said, I, I, just, I said, wait a minute, I just graduated last night. Right. And they said, well, that ain't got nothing to do with today. Right. You know, and so... Uh, you know, my mother made me go out and get a job, and you know, and so I, so, so I ended up getting a job at, at uh, Ohio Edison at the time. Okay. And so we, they had me painting poles, and it's called underground and stuff like that. We did, and it was a great experience. And I, I would love for it to rain, cause when it rained with the electric company, you didn't have to work. Right. So we would always be, you know, begging for rain. Right. But uh, so you know, so then I worked there, and then later on. Uh, I met a guy by the name of Jesse Williams, who worked with my mother at Goodyear, and she told him about me, and so I went and met with him. He said, listen, why don't I get you a job here at Goodyear, working on the squad, which was a great job. You know, and that job, you know, we balanced production, so where you didn't have no steady job there. Whenever, whenever you went to work, it just depended on where they needed you at. Really? You know? So they put you to, usually you see the, 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 the terrible jobs, right? especially initially, you, you get the dirtiest and the hottest jobs, and... And so Jesse Williams was, uh, at the time he was a manager, eventually became the vice president of the company, one of the vice presidents. And so uh, I went and met with him, and he, he you know, he said he's going to give me a job. And I said, hey, man, I, I'm not going to let you down. And he said, you know what, don't worry about letting me down. Don't let yourself down. Right. And, you know, and that was just a beautiful thing. And unfortunately, he, he just died two weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry to hear and, that. Uh, and he died in Wilmington, Delaware, but I, ha- I had to go to the service and pay homage to that to to, right. to, to him because he's he's another person that that was put in my life and uh, very encouraging. Always encouraged me to when I what I was trying to do as far as my professional career and I got involved in politics. He's all just always very uh, encouraging. To, you know, just just very supportive. Right. And then when my daughter graduated at the graduation, I was telling you about Wilmington, Delaware, is not too far from. Lincoln University. Okay. So he came to the to the graduation with my daughter and really? spent the whole day with us. So uh, God rest his soul. He, he's he's a good man. You have had some amazing people in your life. Yeah, I really, really, really have. For had people to tell people. you, you know that, you know that be that encouraging is is uh, yeah sometimes pretty unusual. You, know, you said your mom came from Kentucky. What brought what brought your mom here? Well, uh, she uh, ended up coming here probably because of uh, of, of work opportunity. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. her father was killed. In the mines. He was a coal miner? He was a coal miner, died yeah. in the mines. Then my grandmother remarried a, 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 a gentleman by the name of uh, Ben Case. And uh, he, you know, he was one of the few African Americans at the time who had actually completed college. And, you know, and of course he was African American, so nobody would hire him to be a teacher. So, you know, he, you know, he kind of got any kind of work he could get, you know, and he, he ended up getting hurt on his job he got. But uh, that's how they kind of ended up here because of work and stuff. You know, both your parents worked for Goodyear. When did that kind of hit its peak, and then when do we see kind of like that, you know, what happened in a lot of other Rust Belt cities where the industry kind of started You know, it probably started sometime in the 60s when it started to to, to decline, Mm -hmm. and, you know, and in Akron, you know, and that's one of the situations with African-American people in the city. You don't see a lot of 
African-American businesses here. You just haven't seen them. Right. Uh, back in the day, you see it more now. But that's because back then, you didn't have to start a business. You could get a job. Right. You get a job at Goodyear. And if Goodyear wasn't enough, they, they, they work six-hour shifts, you can go to Firestone. So you can work at Firestone, six-hour, and, Goodyear, and right. Goodyear. You could do wow. that back then. And so some people work both places. So it was really no need to, to go into business because you could get steady work. Steady work, and you have to worry about, you know, going in business and can I pay my bills and all that. So that's why you didn't see a lot of black entrepreneurship here in the city of Akron. It's, it's, it's for the very reason, because the rubber companies were paying and people could get work. And there's really no need to go into business. You know, now a lot of people have to go into business because there's not a lot of job opportunities here. I really enjoyed talking to Marco about his earlier life and the opportunities that his parents sought out, the opportunities that his parents gave to him, and the opportunities that came to him from places that he didn't even realize that they might come from. And his appreciation for those opportunities spills over into this attitude that he wanted to enter public service to help people while they were still alive. Let's take a break from the interview for a few minutes and check in with our musical guest for this podcast, which is an up-and-coming hip-hop group called Free Black. They're a, a duo, and both members have migrated to Akron, Ohio, to pursue various opportunities, educational and otherwise. And these are some guys that have uh, stuff on their minds, like a lot of other people these days. And in 2020, they released an album called Freedom Summer, and since then, they have released a steady string of singles during the pandemic to keep themselves in people's consciousness. They sat down with me and they talked for a while, and they also did a, an amazing live performance on the Roots of American Music live stream. So I encourage everybody to go to the Roots of American Music Facebook page, give it a like, and you'll get notified of, of these live streams when they, um, when they go live. We also archive all of our shows on our Facebook page, so be sure and dig through all of those and enjoy all of the great performances that have been brought to you by the Akron Heritage Music Project. So let's sit down with Free Black for a few minutes, learn a little bit more about them, and listen to one of their songs called True Love Is. I'm Holver Grouse III. Um, I play drums. I'm also a producer. Um, here in Akron, Ohio. I'm Flacco Torres, vocalist, producer, songwriter, and um, the other half of Free Black. <laughs> the other. Yeah. Now, how long has Free Black been together? Since 2017. Okay. What was the What was the spark to put that together? Um, well, we had met at Uncork Wine Bar over here on High Street. Um, we were there for one of the open mic nights that Gretchen Plus usually has. Oh, yeah. Um, and that particular night, he just happened to be there. Mm -hmm. And I had put out my first uh, EP, and I had had a copy. I'd given it to you, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it was just we just connected through email, and I sent him some beats, and he would send me references back. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So um, at that time, I was doing kind of like just short, like... Uh, like just basically shows like where I was just playing beats and drums and then I would have like special guests come and like either Chris Coles would come play saxophone or right. Big Green would come and MC or he would come and MC mm -hmm. and we, this is like basically the platform we would use just to like test out the material that we had been working on I think our, <laughs> I think our name for the most part that we try to push that more than anything else right. mm -hmm. like the, the concept behind our name of we we are free like it's free to be whatever you want to be so for us it's free black for you it may be free trans it may be free uh gymnast it may be whatever the thing is our message is everybody's free to be whoever they, they want to be, be. Mm -hmm. right and we put we push that a little bit more of like when you come to the shows 
that's why it doesn't look like one group of people. It looks like everybody, yeah. right? Because everybody is free to be there in that moment and have a good time. And that's that's kind of like our overall thing. Oh, cool. Nah, nah. called True Love Is. When the money goes, when the money stay, when the gray skies replace the sunny day. That's a question you gotta ask yourself when the goal is amassing wealth. And arrogance is common when you can't see past your belt. And the rings getting pawned when the pressure's felt. You know the story. American dreams turn to glory. Watching it fall down, suicide in his 40s. Watch the kids fight with the wife for the portions. Same what'll happen when we turn into corpses. Works your whole life to have friends on your porches. Watching what the bank's about to do to your mortgage. Still got a maid and a porter. Cause you gotta keep the show going like And if you don't, she won't have my wallet, my choice just ain't realistic. Uh, money ain't the root, it's the stage design. It's gonna show who you are at just the right time. Mic check 212, you know the vibes. Coming to you live for a dollar ninety-nine. And if you know the words, please sing into the mic. And if you don't, well, we gonna double the price. It goes mic check 212, you know what's up. And if you don't, well, spouse gets the bins and then repo the truck. And you can see your kids like Check yourself before you wreck yourself. You know they say the market always corrects itself. Don't listen to the news, the scrolling on your phone. Just hit StockX, trying to keep up with the Joneses. Resale value, tripled in a moment. Nice pair of shoes, got you dripping while you're homeless. Send a cash app, she's sending you emojis. Sent the laughing one, you must be the oldest. Who would have known we turned beer to a barrier? Sending classism to a lower class area. Some care too much, some don't care enough. Watch the neighborhood turn black and they be scared as I. Click came by happiness, but it might. When she got five carrots, moved next door when she broke off the marriage. She got to keep the ring and our friend. Damn. You know the vibes coming to your life. If you know the words, please sing it to the mic. And if you don't, well, we gonna double the price. It goes mic check two one two. You know what's up. And if you don't, well, sorry for your luck. Spouse gets the bins and it repos the truck. And you can see your kids like every other mom.
Now, one of our other podcasts, we talked about Howard Street and the music clubs that used to be on yeah. Howard Street and the yeah. jazz scene and stuff that uh, that evolved around that whole thing. And there were um, African-American business owners for some of those clubs and especially the musicians and stuff like that. What um, were the circumstances that led to Howard Street kind of being, you know, torn down and, you know, part of what we're trying to talk about in this podcast is a little bit about urban renewal and how that affects poorer communities and communities of color and stuff like that. So yeah, what kind of happened true. in Akron? Well, you know, now, now my, my, my aunt, my, my grandmother's sister, she was a beautician and she had a beauty salon where? On Howard Street. And uh, her beauty shop was attached to the Matthews Hotel. Was it really? And so there was her beauty shop, the Matthews Hotel upstairs, go up some steps, and then over there they had a barbershop. Right. So in the barbershop, I would get my hair cut, and my aunt, you know, I would say, I, want, I always tell her, I want, back in the day, you know, a lot of African-American people got processes, right. you know, where they put the hot comb in their hair and all that kind. So I asked my aunt to give me a process, and I had, I, I had pretty good hair that wouldn't do me any good. Right. And so she, she washed my hair, and I thought I had a process. <laughs> but all that being said, uh, a lot of times when I would go to the barbershop, there'd be this older guy in the back, and it was uh, Mr. Matthews. It was, it was George Matthews, you know, who had the Matthews Hotel and ended up being a millionaire and gave money to the University of Akron. So, you know, he, he was one of the main people there on Howard Street. And, you know, and I see him in his office in the back and, you know, didn't remember having a lot of conversations with him, but uh, he was always kind and always spoke. But, uh, yeah, so I had that experience. They were trying to develop downtown and they saw this little black mecca that, you know, they had some successful businesses there. And the city uh, took the position that, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to take all those properties and we're going to move those people out. We're going to displace those people. You know, and not going to really compensate them was really what they should be getting compensated. And so a lot of those guys ended up going out of business. They just couldn't find another place. And, right. And, and they didn't have that same synergy that you had on Howard Street where African-American people were coming in there. And they had the Green Turtle restaurant there. You didn't get a meal. And then they had entertainment and stuff. Right. So, you know, they, uh, they took the position, we were going to cut them out, which that's exactly what they did. They just destroyed Howard Street and tore it down. And, you know, and then, and then, then they went into neighborhoods, and particularly in, in black neighborhoods. They decided to, to do public housing. What did they do? They put it all in the same neighborhood. You know, they put Safe Esteem 1 and 2. Right. Buyers 1 and 2. 2, right. You know, Edgewood, Channelwood, Bonsu. They put them all in the same neighborhood, which is a mistake. You don't want to put all of any kind of people, particularly people who are economically distressed, in the same neighborhood because it, it causes all kind of problems. And but uh, the powers that be just you know really didn't care. They or they didn't. get pressure from somebody that says we don't want this in our you know the whole not in my backyard kind that's, of. That's exactly syndrome, right. You know? That's right. And people were powerless and weren't politically savvy. They didn't hold elective office. Not enough of them to, to, to do anything to stop what they were trying to do. And they just, they just did it, you know. And then you had um, the recycled energy plant. Where they put that? Put it in the black neighborhood. You know, just say, you know, we're just going to take it. The right. interbuilt. We're going to take this land. We're going to run a, an interbuilt. They, they, they built an interbuilt that uh, just destroyed the black neighborhood, but it really never connected to anything else. <laughs> is that when you come into downtown? Right. I, I right. always kind of wondered what right. that is because it doesn't really go anywhere. It does, they, they claim they ran out of money. You're supposed to, at the end of it, when you get to um, Main Street there, it was supposed to connect to, to Route 8. Right. They claimed they, they, they never got the money for doing it, but it, it, it was a big disaster, you know. Now, you touched on housing a little bit earlier, talking about, you know, they kept putting low-income housing, you know, all in one place. Was that an organized 
thing that they oh of were course doing? it was of course yeah. it, of course it was organized mm-hmm. I mean that's because they figured they keep poor people all in one area you know right other people wouldn't care and that's exactly what they did but you know but it just so if you've been around long enough you know now. I'm on the board of the Housing Authority. Right. I'm a board member for the last couple of years. So, you know, it's, it's a new day. New fresh eyes, different way to do in business. My, my biggest thing was uh, a no diversity in the hiring. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. You know, I mean, they're a big organization. They have a lot of money, have a lot of jobs, and not very many African-Americans. And, I, and the former director was a friend of mine, good friend. I was a deputy mayor at one time himself, and I could never really get him to even break that open, you know, but uh, since I've been in for the last couple of years, our, our, our uh, minority hires have went up, you know, almost 20%. Okay. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep working on, on things like that and make sure that other people get opportunities. Now, when you speak about all this, do you think, you know, Akron, say, coming out of World War II, I'm sure World War II was a boon for Akron, for the rubber factories and all that. Were all of these ideas in place? Was Akron a segregated city? Uh, oh, after sure, World War II? absolutely. Yeah. Still, it's still segregated. You look mm-hmm. at the schools, and you see, you know, where you know where you know where you went to school and what your zip code is. Absolutely, yeah. It was very segregated, you know, and they, that's the way they they wanted it, you know, and that's the way it was for a long time. When did that start to kind of shake up a little bit? Well, it probably started shaking up so probably. Sometimes probably in the late 60s, early 70s, probably okay. kind of changed a little bit. But then they start knocking down these African-American neighborhoods like Howard Street and stuff like that. Where do those people go? Well, they end up moving to the west side of Akron mm-hmm. on the hill, you know, and then they took their home and then they say give them enough money to buy another house, you know. But then but then we dealt with that, too. When I was in there, I didn't like the way the formula was and uh, kind of felt that uh, we should uh, up it and— uh, we're able to, 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 to give you give people a little bit more money. Right. Uh, one of the things that, tools that we used was the fact that um, what they would do, they would come and they would appraise your house, and they would appraise your house for peanuts. Right. You know, and that, that's because they're going to take it. Right. So, so, so they determine what it's cost, and, 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 but they're not, they're not compensating for the land, which is the valuable part. Right. And that's the part that they can take and they can use, you know. So that was uh, another process we had to go through with them on that, but... Uh, you know, we end up uh, having another pro- th- through the feds, and I think the feds kind of saw this too. And so then they start paying you whatever the fair market value for your house was, which was going to be very, very low. Oh. But they give you relocation, and the relocation many times is more than the value of your house. House, right? Yeah. So when you're adding them two together, you came with away a little bit more money, right? And they you buy a little bit better house. So you said when you first got into politics that you wanted to help people while they were alive. What were some of the things that were on your mind that you wanted to help people out with when you first? Well, got you know, I, so I thought that we should, you know, you know, have money to to go into business, uh, housing opportunities, be able to live in certain neighborhoods, uh, you know, uh, able to get a good education, you know, all those things. But then again, like I said, my life has just been so wonderful because I've always got in touch with the right people. And it was another gentleman that I used to go to the Urban League, and the Urban League was a, a great organization. It used to be called the Akron Community Service Center and Urban League. And basically what, what it was, it, w- it was actually started by Harvey Firestone and some uh, people in the, in the rubber industry who wanted to do some things to help some people in the African-American community. And they put money into the Urban League, to, you know, for African-American people to get training and, and, and do a number of things. And, and one of the people who ended up being director over there was a guy named Vernon Odom. And so you'll see a street by name, Vernon Odom in the city. all the time, yeah. Yeah, it's my hero, you know. Really? And I was able to uh, name that street after him, you know. And then so, 
whenever I'm having a bad day, I get off of Vern Olin Boulevard and I can just look up to the sky and say, yeah. What did he you do? Know. What did he do? Well, Vern Olin was just so instrumental in mm-hmm. this whole community. He just did, he, he just was a wonderful person. Uh, first of all, he was a graduate of Morehouse College. Okay. You know, and who else graduated from Morehouse College? Dr. King, who was his classmate. Wow. Of course, Dr. King is only 15 years old when he graduated from Morehouse. And so, you know, so from that experience, Mr. Odom came here and he, and he got, he was really involved in civil rights. And so he was really the person who was the connection between the business community and the black community and the government in the black community. And at the time, and, you know, we didn't have any African-American people being uh, policemen, just very few. And so the NAACP sued the city of Akron took them to federal court and won, and they were forced to hire African-Americans. So Mr. Odom was instrumental in uh, recruiting African-Americans to be policemen, and also um, he was instrumental in recruiting people to be in apprenticeship programs, particularly Goodyear, uh, people who were machinists and electricians. Skilled trades. Skilled right. trades, you know, right. and so he was, he was very instrumental in and working with them to make that happen. And he's he just a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, his wife was wonderful. And um, his son is, um, I saw his son two weeks ago, because he ended up coming to the funeral of Jesse Williams, because I called him up and said, Jesse died, can you come over? Because he's in Philadelphia. So he came over. And uh, so, like I said, Mr. Odom is just another person that's just really taught me so much about life and politics and dealing with the powers that be. Now. Let's talk about the future a little bit. Uh, Akron's, you know, industrial fortunes are slimmer than they were, you know, years ago. What's, uh, what's the bright shining light in, in Akron, you know, for the next, say, 20 years? Well, I think the main thing that's shining bright for us is the fact that uh, we got water. That's, that's major. A lot of places don't have water. Right. I mean, it's even talk about taking water from us and, and put it in a pipe and sending it down. Right. Down, down to the, you know, to the southern states, which I hope it never happens. But that's one of the things that we're very successful with. There was a guy by the name of, of uh, Ladoon, and uh, he came with the idea of where our water source should come from. Of course, people thought it should be Lake Erie. Right. But he looked up here in Geauga County, and, you know, and so it's called Lake Ladoon up there now. That's right, yeah. You know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and so, man, we, as far as water, we're in great shape. Yeah. Okay. We're in great shape. We're, right. we're in really good shape for our water. So that's that, that's a good part. I think the climate is another thing that's just going to work in our favor because it's a lot cheaper to heat than cool, you know. And so a lot of these factories, you have to do air conditioning right. and the cost involved in that. So so that's going to work in our favor, too. So, you know, with those two things, I, I think, I think uh, you know, we're kind of trying trying to move forward. Now, what we had also been trying to do, too, was... Uh, we had tried to uh, attract foreign investment. Okay. So um, when I was on um, city council and uh, when I was the president, you know, we, you know, we traveled the globe, you know, trying to attract different businesses to come, come back here. Right. And, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, that was, that was great. We went to a lot of places, uh, China, Israel, uh, Germany. Uh, so we've had a lot of success in Germany. Right. Uh, if, if you go out uh, Maslin Road, uh, there's a place called uh, Ruchling, and it's a uh, place that makes parts for BMW. Okay. And we went to Germany. We met this company. They were looking for a place in the States. And right. we were able to convince them to come to Akron. I think they got about 250 jobs out there. Okay. 
which is which is great. You right. know, and then when you have two hundred fifty jobs, then you had to have support services. Right. Equipment, supplies, right, maintenance, all that maintenance all that. and right. stuff. In a lot of these places they want the uh distributors they give stuff to, for them to build stuff, they want them close rather than have inventory in their own place. So, you know, we've had some success with that. Uh, if you look at it's a place on Miller Road, it's called Mesnick, and, you know, you will see it. What is Mesnick? But Mesnick is a pretty large uh, Chinese company. Okay. So we, we went to China. You know, I don't know. I've been to China, I don't know, 10, 12 times. been a lot of times. Right. We spent a lot of time with them. Is there a polymers industry in Akron now, too? Well, yes, polymers is, is, is still pretty, is pretty big. You know, University right. of Akron is probably the one of the leading polymer places in, in the whole world. You know, right. and, and when you go to China, you're in Beijing or something like that, and you say University of Akron, you know, a lot of these guys, right. you know, they, they went here and they, they trained here and they went right. back. Went back to China. My niece's husband's getting a, a master's degree in, oh, in well, it, at Akron. It's, it's, yeah. That's a good thing. You know, yeah. polymers are just, it, 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 you know, there's so many variations of polymers and right. stuff, you know. But wow. University of Akron is a major player. Our musical guest, Free Black, named their last album Freedom Summer. So before their live stream from Akron Recording Company, I sat down with them and I asked them about the inspiration for that title. During that conversation, we touched on a lot of topics, including the social upheaval of the last year and how their music is inspired by that, how their music can push the conversation forward and what that conversation needs to be to make opportunities inclusive for all people. They had a lot of great insights, and we're going to play those for you here in just a second. And we're going to tune in and listen to another of their live performances. If you weren't able to catch the performance from Akron Recording Company on our live stream, I suggest going to the Roots of American Music Facebook page, liking the page so you can be notified of future live streams, and also look at our video archive of all the other great performances we've had during the Akron Heritage Music Project. So let's talk to the guys in the band a little bit, and then listen to a duo of songs uh, that they that they performed during the live stream uh, called uh, Free, and the other one is called Black Musicians. Now that was inspired. That the Freedom Summer title was that inspired by something you read or something? I think yeah. Justin might have told me that. Uh, so I, um, the same way we we came up with a name, like we were just kind of texting or whatever, mm-hmm. and we were throwing out a couple names, and I was like, "What about Free Black? Like, what if you know we're free to just do whatever and be whatever?" Um, I'll have concepts the same way, and Freedom Summer was that that thing for me. Um, the George Floyd murder happened. I think the Ahmad Ahmad Arbery thing happened. And I just, I got to thinking, I was like, I hate that this just feels so familiar. And I, I don't know what the trigger was, but I went to look for Freedom Summer mm-hmm. in, in 1964, uh, all the stuff that was happening in Mississippi. And I just got this idea and I was like, I think I want to call the album Freedom Summer. And I texted him that, but I was like, but I have to read the book before we do this. Because right. our, our, first, our first album, we used, um, we used some archive photos from the library of the Akron riots in 1968. Okay. Um, and it was the same thing. It was like, I wanted to do a bunch of research. So if anybody ever came to us, they wouldn't do that. Like, oh, you guys are just using struggle stuff to whatever for profit. And right. I was like, no, I actually researched this. Right. So it was like, I read the Freedom Summer book and I was like, okay, I think I know what we're doing now. We got these songs, let's, and, then, and then we got to work on it. And funny thing is, if I can add to that, like the uh, photos that Flacco chose for the album, if you really listen to the album and then you look at the photos it's like i told him this the other day like i feel like the people on the uh album covers are expressing 
what it is via him. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? But it's just like, it, you can say that for either our first album or Freedom Summer. It's just like, okay, this, that I can relate the music and the image as well. So, yeah. Isn't that frustrating on some level, though, that, that it's been like, what is that, 60 years? And like, it still has that connection to those photos that yeah. you're talking about. And like, that, And that was, that was the selling point for me. And mm-hmm. when I was trying to sell him on it, I was, I was like, fam, I'm sending himself in mm-hmm. the book. Like they were saying this on television, right? And then this happened two months ago. This mayor got up here and said this. I was like, it's the same propaganda. Like we still have this same problem. And while there's been a lot of progress, it's still we're at the same conversation, right? And that was we had, uh, like I said, we had been playing these songs at the shows, but then now some of those little lines was like, oh, this is really relevant right now, right? What needs to change, I guess, in in your mind. I think when we talk about getting people more involved, it's always about meeting people where they are. Uh, and there's a lot of, a lot of instances in, in very small but very major things that I, I can always spot it when you think about public transportation and you get on social media and there you'll see, hey, we have this new mobile app. Uh, it makes it easier to, you, you know, you can link it to your social media and your cards and all that stuff or whatever, but it's like you're posting it on Twitter. Right. And it's like how much of your ridership is actually on, on Twitter. Twitter. You know <laughs> right. I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's meeting people where they are. Like it's right. getting out in, in the neighborhoods of the people that you say you're talking to and finding the community leaders that can help get that message out. Right. It's, uh, if you're giving out utility or rent assistance, but you're only putting it on the city's website and the city's website should have been redesigned 20 years ago. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who's going to the city website to know that? Right. That flyering so needs to people. happen. Outreach needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the biggest thing is like meeting people where they are. Yeah. And, and it's not everybody it. has the same access mm-hmm. as other people do, you know. So it's just like if everybody knew about it, like right. on a different medium, then yeah, we're we're here. Right, this is where we're at. Uh, we all have a common ground. As the, as far as the country, I wish I was qualified to answer that. I feel like the whole thing needs to be torn down and redone. We know that's not going to happen. Right. So it's just um, the communities being able to take the power back as, as best we can and, and getting back to looking out for each other and, and building black Wall Streets and building, and, and not not just black people, but I'm black, so that's always what I'm thinking about. Sure, first. right. But communities as a whole, getting ourselves off of this wheel where we're waiting for the governments to come in and say, let's, we're waiting for our, our council people. I understand these folks work for us and they should be accountable to us, right. but community gardens are a thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like co-ops are a thing. These things exist because the help that said it was coming didn't come. Right. And the people took it in their hands to be like, okay, everybody on this block is going to have a meal. And then once everybody on this block has a meal, then we're going to go to the next, next block. block. Over, right. And we just continue to do that. So I feel like while, while we're waiting on the top-down politics, we just got to take the power in our hands and make sure that we're, we're doing what we can for the person next to us and the person across the street from us. And you know, strength in numbers, right? And strength in numbers. If they keep us divided and arguing about getting on next door, arguing about who didn't pick up whose dog shit. Right. No, no. It's like all of that's happening. And it's just, there's, there's so many other conversations we could be having.
Free as the color of my skin, it's love to all my people. Free as the feeling and ability to drop the ego. Free as the life you live when time is something less than we hold. Free as the limits and how far we can go. Hold on, I ain't a freedom fighter, I'm just seeking brighter days. Just hope you hear these bars and catch yourself a lighter case. I ain't never been side of base or easily swayed. Somewhere between sway not having an answer for Kanye. Mixed with Benny and Conway. Quick to address your character like cosplay. Swear so many people out here searching for prime dates, but won't pom pom for their own sake. We're here to make the people feel higher than Britney Newsome on a flagpole. Expose America's contents of a bathrobe. From tadpole to adolescent, that depression rabbit holes looking for reasons to get. Like a droner, but my enemies' homes we get. Was never slide around my family stone. I can't lie, say hi to the neighbors. I gotta see the world. In every city, they gon' need an FT referral. Ain't y'all the pearl, so get away. You asking if I'm free, and I said, Yeah, yeah. Free as the color of my skin, it's love to all my people. Free as the feeling and ability to drop the ego. Free as the life you live when time is on, that's it, we up. Free as the lyrics, and I thought we could go. I get him up, get him! out there louder let's go Eunice Wayman in Venezuela Travel the world, inspire the kids to keep their head up No tolerance or disrespect towards our young Corettas Might not understand our slang, but don't you dare correct us My culture started in the streets of the Bronx Traveled to every radio, emotion apart I used to beatbox on the picnic tables out in the park I wrote rhymes for my cousins, but the battles would start Early on, all my heroes that I had were Lex Led me to the pad, I would write my thoughts down When the world turned Back when Michael Jackson wrote, but it did matter. None of those parents had their kids flattered or environments that would encourage us to be combative. And what I idolized changed with intuition. And usually the research would always lead me back to it. You are know in those days. Compare me to the. My heroes are. Compare me to the black, black, black. Here goes one, two, three. Can't believe I was afraid to be. It had to be. I ain't have a pair of Jordans, they would tell me I ain't. It never bothered me too much at the time until I uncovered the underlying facade. It's levels to the skin color of mine. If you look like me, I could never be enough to get by. But if we differ, then I'm always too much to survive. Uh, you know I care, do piercing on honey buns. My art is equal in content, never in funds. And Holbrook is our Blakey on the drums. As he watches the direction he created to become. 
Channel a network you can't tap into. I'm a start a religion and I'm trying to recruit. God coming back soon in a pinstripe suit, driving a 57 Bentley coupe. And she's only taking. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for your man. Flacco Toys is in the building! In those days, compare me to the... What needs to happen in a city like Akron to make African-American people feel like part of the process? Well, one thing that, that I am going to do is, uh, this is so, see, it's funny how things work out. Uh, I'm on the Board of Elections now. Okay. The first African-American member ever. Wow. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's my charge to make sure that every vote is counted and everybody gets the opportunity to vote. Wow, what a great conversation. I want to thank Marco Somerville for sitting down with me and talking about his personal history, his life in politics, the politics of Akron, Ohio, and what Akron is moving towards in the future. I also want to thank Free Black for coming and performing at Akron Recording Company for our live stream. It was a great performance. Once again, go check out our Facebook page and watch that performance. You will not be disappointed. I also want to thank Mike Fanos for editing work, Dave Polster for mastering work, the whole crew at Akron Recording Company for making these recordings and live streams possible. I'd like to thank Kevin Richards, the creative director at Roots of American Music, Jason Myers, the executive director of Roots of American Music, the GAR Foundation, and the Knight Foundation for funding these podcasts. If you like the information in these podcasts, please consider donating to Roots of American Music. You can find our webpage at www.rootsofamericanmusic.org, and there's a PayPal link there. You can send us some money, and it will ensure that our mission continues into the future. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Akron Heritage Music Project, and we'll see you next month with another great story from Akron, Ohio. Have a great day. The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War, but half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, we'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality of the fighting and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency. Check out our show, Ohio vs. the World, on the Evergreen Podcast Network for our new episode about America's most forgotten war. Now back to the show.